Welcome back to the desert and the penultimate ATP Masters 1000 of the year, the BMP Paribas Open in Indian Wells. I'm Seb Lozier, and over the next 40 minutes or so, we'll hear from Brit Dan Evans. We'll talk with former world number six Wayne Ferreira, coach of America's Francis Tiafo. We're back in the Tennis United camp talking doubles with Jamie Murray and Bethany Matek Sands. But first, we're with the champion of Miami earlier this year, Hubi Perkach, who's already beaten Australia's Alexei Popperin in Indian Wells. He's been speaking with our reporter, Jill Krabus. First of all, I want to talk about um, your success. Congratulations on a great year. One Miami, of course, your first Masters 1000 semifinals of Wimbledon. And last week, congratulations, one singles and doubles. Hmm. Can you just tell us a little bit about what you feel like has impacted you this year in particular to have such success? Yeah, I mean, it was a great year, like uh, a couple of ups and downs, but like really high ups. So, I mean, uh, being able to, to win my first master titles, it was uh, super big for me. Then, like, uh, you know, you're you're higher in the rankings. You, you want to, like, uh, then you, you set up bigger goals for yourself. And, uh, you know, being able to, to, to play my first uh, Grand Slam semi-final is also like uh, it's something something you know special for me, and uh, also like uh, tells me that uh, you know maybe next time you can you can do it even better. So it also motivates me a lot. And just to- talking about those two events in particular, you know, first Masters 1000, big deal. Also semifinals, beating Federer and route to that semifinal someone you had idolized just talk about your emotions in that moment and what that meant to you yeah i mean playing roger on such a big event on uh, i mean new Wimbledon quarterfinals like uh, you know the atmosphere is crazy there like it's it's so loud it's it's quite insane i mean stuff to to you know explain it when you when you haven't experienced it so so you know that that was that was something you know very 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 unique and, and special about it plus plus also being being able to, to win that match that was that was you know super super big for me and you yourself just mentioned expectations in particular that's something that comes with the territory as you rise how you've done such a good job of dealing with that are there certain tactics that you take in order to be able to keep yourself in that good frame of mind yeah i mean it's uh, it's not easy always like you, you have uh, tougher weekends when uh, when the things are not going your 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 way so you just try to you know stay stay calm and, and fight through it you you know you're not always gonna be in the in the best mindset uh, coming on the court so you just try to you know deal with it and then stay as positive as you can and uh, you know try to try to compete as hard as you can can you, do you, is there any way you can be maybe a little bit more specific about maybe some things you do to, to deal with those mm-hmm. challenges when they come? Yeah, I mean, so, so I talk a lot uh, with, with CB as well about it and, uh, you know, he has a great understanding of game, also also mental one. And, uh, you know, trying, being on the court, just trying to focus on the, you know, maybe on your, on your assets or what can you do good and... Uh, uh, what's your what's your plan for the opponent so you know trying to force yourself to to think about it more and uh, trying to execute it uh, plus being positive you know it's uh, i mean it's not always easy to to do not always war uh, you know i i do it as good as i would like it to do but uh, you know as long as you're trying to to improve and be more conscious about yourself i think that's uh, that's that's helpful and then of course, talking about last week, you just won double duty, singles and doubles in Mets. Congratulations. 
How, how, first of all, your emotions there, and then as far as like, you know, such a high successful singles player, did double, playing doubles, did that help your single, did you feel like that helps you overall? Yeah, I think it, it does, like actually, it grows my game, I, I hit a lot of serves, a lot of returns, you know, it's, it's a little different, uh, you know, practicing than, uh, than, you know, playing actually a playing actual match, so, so you know, the, the pressure is different, you want to win, plus have a chance to, to play with my friend during match so that was, that was you know the, the friend that I know him for like 15 years so it's, it's really great yeah just I guess how special was that I mean <laughs> how how was his emotions in, the, in that moment yeah I mean it's it's you know like we know each other since we were nine years old we played all the junior events we traveled around the Europe to, to play some ITFs and now we we win our first ATP title it's it's you know it's it's great <laughs> And, and something else, um, obviously, that you experienced this year is the Olympics, your first time playing the Olympics. I know you've expressed how important it is to be able to be an inspiration for your home country. How amazing was that moment? Just tell us about your experience in Tokyo. Yeah, that was that was something unique. I mean, like the, being able to represent your country on, at the Olympics, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing with all the athletes. I mean... Uh, it's it's the village is so huge and the amount of players the the, the I mean the the organization there it's I mean it's such a big event so I mean it's a little bit of shame that there weren't any spectators there because you know like they they build those big stadiums and uh, just felt a bit you know sad sad that uh, that the people cannot come and actually like enjoy and watch and support so. So that's uh, yeah, and then next time hopefully it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be different with 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 the spectators. Where, can you tell us any maybe specific athletes that you were able to to meet that that you felt like had an impact, or were you able to talk with a lot of the other athletes? Yeah, I mean, I, I was able to, to, to talk with some Polish athletes actually once I, I I went to a volleyball game, so that was that was very cool. I mean, that was. Uh, you know, to see some other sport uh, on a high level, and uh, you know, to support uh, the, the the Polish uh, Polish volleyball team was uh, was amazing, and uh, you know, was, was so much fun to go out there and seeing seeing other professional athletes uh, compete. I know I've talked to some other um, tennis players that actually experienced the Olympics as well. That said, that what was really cool was I got to also hear the mentality of the other athletes from other sports were, were you able to talk to some of your fellow athletes fellow peers from Poland about that particular well, aspect uh, yeah a little bit actually you know I, I spoke uh, spoke a bit to the to Polish golfer you know he it's it's different sport golf than tennis you know you have so much time in between each shot so you know also like how how you approach each shot uh, what's your mindset there it's uh, it's super important so so yeah I was I was able to, to talk about it a little bit so for you in particular how what do you are there certain things you do in those big moments because so much of these matches come down to those big pressure moments is there something specific that obviously has been working for you where you connect with something to be able to play those big pressure moments so well. Yeah, I mean, you just try to to focus on the on the you know like on, for example, when you're returning, you know, and focus on the on some key key points of your return. So so and then uh, you know just try to try to be aggressive, try to to get opportunity to to, to, to get a ball to to attack and uh, maybe approach. 
And then also just talking to you a little bit, I'm curious about off court because um, you know you're so professional in everything that you do, and the physicality of the sport has just increased so much. Like. How much do you focus on nutrition, on fitness? Let's start with nutrition. I know that you strictly try and stay as much vegan as possible. How has that affected you? I think it's, I mean, since like three years uh, I've been eating vegan. I mean, I eat fish like, I mean, once or twice a month, so so not that often. And uh, I mean, I think feel really good. I feel a lot of energy. Uh, My body feels good. I I mean, I'm... uh, Thing. I have a lot of energy on the court. I can play for for many hours, and uh, just uh, nutrition is very important for me because you know what, what you you're gonna like feed your body with. Like then the, the the body can perform up to up to this level. Do you take any vitamins? Yeah, I mean I take some you know some some supplements, some some uh, I mean uh, some some protein of course and. Uh, yeah, you know, it's uh, sometimes. I mean, with the, with the food nowadays, uh, it's not that easy, you know, to, to deliver everything you you you, you want it to to be delivered. <laughs> and then, as far as um, fitness is concerned, I guess a typical day, if you were just practicing today, how much leading into an event like this would you do a lot of fitness, or do you start to taper off? Yeah, I mean, obviously, being at the end of the season, you don't do as much fitness as you probably do before the season and maybe like uh, during some break so I mean I did uh, the hour fitness played played two hours tennis today so you know and then and then obviously I need to spend some time on, on recovery stretching and uh, you know just taking care of my body to, to be ready for the next day. And there are, are there certain specific things recently, I guess this year, with your rise that you've been focusing on fitness-wise? I mean, fitness-wise, I think we just, uh, you know, just as a process, like been working with, with my fitness coach, which I make for many years and uh, getting stronger and better each, each single year. So it just, you know, then, uh, yeah, then when I'm actually you know like performing better at the tournaments then uh, I see the advantages of the of the work that I that I've put in and and as far as tennis obviously what do you feel like you've improved on the most I think my serve has gotten better and, and the way I play after my serve also so I think my return return is, is better than it was last year so so I think those are the, the things that help you you know build up the point afterwards and, and as far as like just the rest of the year, obviously it's a very long year. Um, we have some good opportunities. I know you're close to the race or in the race right now. Um, I just looked at the numbers now, but I think you're are you eighth. Yeah, I mean if Rafa's not playing, then I'm eighth. If, if he's gonna play, then I'm ninth. So anyway, it's, it's so close. how how much is that is that how, is that hard to like try not to focus on, or is that something that motivates you and gets you excited leading into the the end of the year? Well, I mean, I got asked this question like many times already, <laughs> yeah, so, so, so you know, so you kind of have it in the in the back of my mind uh, a little bit. But you know, you just try to focus on uh, on getting better, being prepared for every single match, and that's what you you try to do. I think because it's so exciting. I think yeah. it's a very exciting. I mean, it is. It yeah, is for sure. It's yeah. very exciting, you know, having that chance opportunity. Yeah, and I think just give us a little insight. Maybe once the year's over, like, what's your typical off season? What are you going to work on? You know, for the for the next year, what are your goals leading forward? Well, I mean, to be honest, I don't know yet. I mean, I have to speak with my coach, CB. What <laughs> what does he want to uh, work on uh, specifically? But uh, you know. 
for sure like need need a couple of days of rest to, to recover and then physically start to, to build myself build myself uh, to, to be ready for the whole season Hubi catch there and in the round of 32 he plays Francis Tierfo who beat fellow American Sebastian Corder Tierfo is definitely on the rise under the coaching eye of former top 10 player Wayne Ferreira I mean, there's always a lot for him to try to work through in regards to having that status of having a lot of people expecting a lot from him. And I think that was a big problem when he came out and did well. A lot of expectations on his head that he deals with, that he has some issues trying to overcome. We've worked a lot in the last year and a half on, on some of the more tennis-specific stroke uh, things that we've changed to make some changes on the forehand and serve and things like that on the court. But... A lot of the stuff that comes from Francis is more in the head and more trying to deal with just sort of life in general, you know, life uh, traveling around the tour. Um, the friends, he's a very, uh, you know, outspoken, in, very friendly, very likable guy and, you know, trying to, trying to work between having fun and, and working hard at the same time, you know, trying to keep the focus in the matches, trying to keep the head down. And he's improved a lot. I mean, the, the ranking has been stagnant and a lot of it has to do with the ranking system. 2019 if you did really well in 2019 you were living off those those years for two years and two, 2019 was an absolute shocker of a year for him he barely won a match so he's unfortunately all the points he's been making over this last year and a half have been points made he hasn't been able to live off anything good from 2019 so even though its ranking hasn't gone up he's started to play better he started to do better he started to have better wins and he's actually improved a lot but he hasn't you know improved so much on the ranking yet and i think that will once things got to come to normal uh, the ranking will get back to normal i think you'll start seeing him climbing up the rankings you know recently he's got two top 10 wins which he hasn't had in a bunch of years uh, he's pr- progressing a little further in some tournaments um, he's having better wins more regularly um, he's doing better concentration-wise in more matches more often. So there's a lot that's been going well for him. Yeah, you mentioned the two top ten wins over Tsitsipas, Shapovalov. I want to get to some of the strokes in a second, but in, in terms of that mentality, Wayne, um, I remember four or five years ago when he was coming through the challenger level to break into the top 100 for the first time, it was about really focusing through matches because he had so many three-setters and just... Uh, approaching the matches themselves with more of a business mentality. Is it still that same battle or is it more within the practices themselves at this point? That is a big battle for him and that's something that we work in every single day. There's been these issues with him about not being able to finish matches in two sets, not being able to keep the concentration but also just having matches where he's not, not in the match completely. And we work on things to try to make improvements. You know, for example, this year at Wimbledon, it's the first time I asked, you know, when, when I asked, when was it, when did you ever win a match in three straight sets? And, and that goes back a long way. I said, when did you ever win a match in three straight sets, two matches in a row? Which went all the way back. And, and into even better that, when did you ever win a match or two matches in a row where you never lost your serve one time in a match? And he did that at Wimbledon this year in his first and second round. Didn't lose his serve once, beating Tsitsipas, beating uh, Pospisil, uh, three straight sets. Not you know. So we're looking at these little. They seem like you know immaterial things, but they make a big difference. You know, he's winning a lot more matches in in uh, in straight sets now. Um, he's uh, getting his percentage of his service you know into the high 60s. Uh, you know, focusing longer. So I mean, you know. 
there's a lot of little improvements that we're trying to make that he has been making very, very well that are starting to pay off in some of the wins that he has. But, you know, there's still a long way to go. But those little things as we progress are, are really important. Yeah, I guess many fans might not really understand why it is so crucial to have I guess those quicker matches, especially earlier in the week when theoretically you're playing a, a lower-ranked opponent, why why is that so important? Well, obviously from the physical standpoint to outlast it, but also from the mental standpoint, the less energy you exert physically and mentally, the better off you'll be the next day. And, you know, those are key. If you want to win matches, you look at Grand Slams in particular, the guys that are winning Grand Slams are the ones who are having the earlier rounds. It's really hard to have five-set matches early and survive. And, and for him, it's not even so much from the physical side. It's just learning learning to win matches quickly, being able to focus from start to finish. That's the key. I, I don't mind him going three sets if he is focusing 100% start to finish. It's more about the intensity and the investment from the first point to the last point. I mean, sometimes you're not going to always win in straight sets. But if you have the opportunity to win in a straight set, you're able to finish a match really, really quickly then. Doing that last week, he played a perfect match against Nishioka in the first round, beat him in, a, in one hour and seven minutes. Um, something he would never have done again. So we are making strides. They're small strides, but they are really important strides for him to grow as he gets better. It's such an interesting dynamic because anybody who's ever met Francis knows he is such a gregarious, friendly, outgoing guy. And you never want to take away from that because that is his personality. But you do, it seems, need a different personality when it comes to the business side. Well, you're right about that, and he isn't the norm. You know, you know, you can't compare him to the guys who are really intense, the Nadals and those kinds of things. And Francis does have a great nature, and we have to try find a happy medium. And we've been working hard, and it's difficult to find that in a match with him trying to keep the intensity and focus, but enjoying himself too. I don't want him to be a robot. I don't want him to be like something that he isn't, but we have to make sure that when he does look at us and joke, and you know, we, we try to now joke around a little bit. I mean, we're not allowed to coach. We're not really coaching, but we're sort of laughing and joking about things and trying to keep it lighthearted and that because he has to do that with his nature, but trying to find it so that he can do it at certain times to release and make him feel good, but also keep the focus and the concentration. So it's a it's an intriguing um, experiment with him to try to figure figure out what works for him compared to you know the difference of, of working with somebody else yeah it's is you mentioned obviously he's never going to be Nadal is there somebody though that you're maybe able to point to he had obviously the moment in Toronto with Monfils saying how, how much he admired him over the years is that a guy you want to point Monfils, to? Monfils I would put him down as pretty much the the guy you know Okay, Francis isn't as charismatic or as playing with the crowd as much as Monfils does. Monfils takes it to a whole different level. But he is one guy that has been very good at being able to, to play with the crowd and, and have fun in the match, yet keep the focus and the concentration. Now, I'm not wanting Francis to be at that level or be that outgoing or that crazy on the court. But being able to have fun and enjoy yourself, let the crowd enjoy who he is, you know, to see his real true personality because he is very special. He's a very special person with a great personality which you never want to take away and you want the crowd to be able to enjoy that with him. But he also has to get the most out of himself too without giving away, uh, you know, what he needs to do out there. Now I want to talk a little bit about the strokes because... When he started coming onto the scene 17, 18, 19, obviously had a lot of good success in the juniors and, and so on. 
but the strokes were a little bit wonky, I believe is the technical term, Wayne. Um, and, and it's just been a work in progress, especially on that forehand. It's always been a little bit different. And I'm wondering what you've been working on in terms of the improvement there to try well, to make it so it doesn't break down as much. It's still wonky. I mean, he has an unusual take back, which is his design. And I think everybody has to have their own way of playing. I had a very unusual forehand with my take back too. And I worked around it and managed it, and I think that he should keep it because he's comfortable with it, and it's all unique. It's you know, if you see him hit a ball, you know it's Francis Tiafoe, and you know it gives him a special character. Um, we've worked a lot on, we've changed the grip uh, a little bit, we've moved a little bit more over from a, to a more of a semi-western. Um, we've done a lot with a contact point out in front. We've done a lot with earlier preparation. He had a lot of problems with only preparing once the ball got to him. So we do a lot, early, lot earlier preparation. We've worked a lot on the left foot forward. The one other thing that I found, which was really unusual to me, is that when he ran out wide to the forehand, his footing and the way that he landed and positioned himself was completely incorrect. Um, so he learned How a so, if you don't just mind. the wrong foot, wrong thing, uh, you know, running through the ball instead of finding himself a strong position on the court with some strength in the legs to be able to hold his position and generate power out of the shot. He was jumping in the air. He was hitting it off the wrong foot. There was a whole lot of just functional uh, issues there. And so we worked hard on a lot more stability, a lot more bending, a lot more foot planting, a lot more strength in the legs, uh, hip rotations, quite a lot. I mean, you can't really tell, you know, if you look at the stroke, you say, hey, it's still funky, but there's a lot behind uh, the changes that have been made to, to get him. He's a lot better uh, on the return of serves. We shortened the backswing. It's more of a bunt on the return. It's a lot more solid, a lot more consistent. Uh, the, the running forehand when I when I first started with him the serve out wide and the running forehand where he's Achilles heel he actually now has confidence and feels good about it he's making a lot more there are times that he still likes to just what I say cop out and 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 go for too much on that forehand but over over overall it's a lot more consistent there's a lot more strength in it um, and a lot more consistency and he's starting to feel more confident with it too and a lot of his downfall beforehand was also the negativity in feeling it now he's feeling more confident with it too I guess when you when you have done something for so long as he has that maybe is quote-unquote incorrect if you will how hard is it later in life at the age of 24 25 to correct those things especially as you mentioned moving out to the right on the forehand it's been really, really difficult. It's been hard. You know, we were lucky in some sense that, you know, the pandemic came and we had five months off that we could spend the time to really, really work on that. And now we're starting to build it into matches, you know, build it into, you know, how he, how he does it in the match and how it goes forward. I mean, it's still in my way, it's still his weaker side, but his stronger side. Uh, his backhand is very solid, um, but I also feel that his backhand is, has improvements to make. Sometimes he's too soft and too passive off the backhand. He's not aggressive enough. The forehand has become very aggressive. He's going after a lot more. He's hitting a lot winners, a lot more winners, and it's becoming more of a weapon, yet it still can break down. So it's developing into a strength, which is good, but still has a long way to go to be able to get to a level where you know, he, can, he cannot make uh, errors on it at all. How long of a process do you think that is? I mean, is it just continuous throughout the career to just keep tweaking? Or is there, uh, you could say that there's an end point with it? Always 
tweaking. Everyone's always tweaking. You know, everyone's always trying to find ways. Uh, you know, the, the golfers are the worst when they start putting and they're changing their mind. But I think it, with his forehand, it's always going to be a work in progress. We're always going to tinker with little things here and there to try to change and try to find that perfect scenario for him. I think we've done a great job getting to where we are. We have a, still a long way to go and it's a work in progress. And, you know, I, I think that by middle next year, you'll start to piece everything together and start having more consistencies. Uh, he's got a lot to develop still. Mike Cation with Wayne Ferreira and he's also been speaking with Brit Dan Evans. He overcame Kanish Akori in the second round in Indian Wells and seems to be building some momentum again after his brush with COVID earlier in the year. When I got COVID, it just wasn't wasn't meant to be for the Olympics, really. Um, and then I probably, you know, over, you know, over not, you know, probably thought it would have been a bit easier, a bit naive to think it was a bit easier to come back and get straight back into it. Um, yeah, it, you can't look back at, you know, I got it and it was difficult. <laughs> but yeah, also I didn't get it. You know, I was in a bit of pain from day to day, but I didn't get it bad and I'm alive. And that's basically the perspective I put on it. And tennis is secondary at the time. It's just, you know, following the guidelines, staying in, indoors and, you know, doing my bit for the, for the British public not to, you know, break, you know, the rules, which, you know, obviously is happening a bit. So it's just sort of took it upon myself that it was the right thing to do is stay indoors and yeah tennis was secondary basically I didn't think too much about sec- uh, about tennis really because of because of that so yeah it's been interesting because I, I know you and I have talked yeah. uh, at other times about obviously the big injury I believe that was 2014 and mm. 2013 2014 obviously the the suspension as well mixed in there as well each time you've come back though you seem to be just kind of at peace with what has happened whether it has been put upon you in, in injury covid whatever or something you have done yourself and I, I just wonder where that comes from just in that idea of i just have to accept it and move on i mean my my dad is very accepting with you know what he had to do to you know not make me a tennis player but what if i wanted to be a, you know try and be a tennis player he accepted that it would cost, it would make sacrifices. And I think I I would guess that's where I get it from. Um, you know, there's not, there's not much else you can do about it. You know, I think without, unless you don't do what, what I did, you know, when I got suspended, then that's the only thing I can do to prevent that. But once it was done, it was, it was done. And that was, that was it and then come back and try and be better and you know the covid was a very minor thing i think and you know not winning a match on a swing of this i'd be you know is that would be hit and it would be simply that i just didn't win a match and i wouldn't work any harder or less hard it's just you know do my stuff and try you know it's not going to be because i didn't try to win so that's you know you and I both know that that's pretty rare, though, um, just to have that kind of attitude out here because there's ego that gets mixed in. Uh, I think a lot of people just feel put upon that it's it's a hard grind, and it doesn't seem like that's in, in your DNA, your mentality. I mean, the tours, it can be difficult like any job, but 
I've seen difficult and I've seen, you know, people, you know, not being able to pay their mortgage, stuff like that. That's when a job's hard, you know, going to sit in an office and kids to feed and stuff like that. You know, I that's the reality of the the world and especially right now we've seen a lot of it with covid people losing jobs you know i want to do my best but there's it there's there's other things and that's where the you know perspective sort of comes into it and after i come back i actually worked with a psychologist and he was very big on perspective you know we worked only for a short amount of time it was to basically for me to be allowed to to play was the reason I used him and and his thing was perspective and that's always what I've tried to do was to 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 have perspective and that sort of just reinforced that I was doing the right thing how my attitude was towards tennis and I don't think it's a bad thing and think yeah I mean I'm not saying some people could do with a bit of it but you know there's there's some you know, living the real world at the minute would it would be tough. I think. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly been reinforced over the yeah. last year and a half, over and over again. Yeah. And and it, I imagine for you getting to be back in front of fans in this idea of perspective and reality, just to be able to be, I don't know, in in some way giving back the entertainment aspect of what tennis can provide to people over the last couple of years. We're we're happy to have fans out here again, and I imagine that means something to you as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, Wimbledon was great. Um, you know, obviously we were holed up, but, you know, after Wimbledon, I sort of, you know, had to, again, sort of just give myself a, you know, a kick and just say, you know, I played in front of a great... I lost the quarter, but, you know, my attitude was, you know, I was a little angry, but, you know, I probably didn't enjoy it as much as I should have, but that would have been worse with no people there, you know, and... You know, that day forgot, you know, you're playing in front of the crowd on centre court and, you know, a year ago we were playing with no fans at the US Open. So I think it's important to, to, to keep, you know, keep your eye on that and, and know what's important. That being said, with, with that idea of perspective, I also know you, when you get in between the lines, you're a dog. I yeah. mean, you will fight and scrap. It's it's an interesting contrast, and I'm wondering what your uh, psychologist, when you started working with that, how how he found that balance between the two, that idea of perspective on the outside, but that competitive dog on the inside. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is not to change yourself. You've got to be, you know, some people are very relaxed on court and not not for confrontation it's not confrontation as in physical confrontation but people are different and at the end of the day you're trying to beat the other guy or, or girl down the other end of the the court and that's it's not a good thing it's not a polite thing it is a pretty nasty thing you're doing you're and that is the fact and you know people have drive in different ways and mine is to be you know vocal it helps how I play and and to let them know you know not with words but my body language my actions that I'm there to for a tough day and if if they win they win and if if I win I you know I hope that when we shake hands or fist bump now <laughs> that they uh, you know appreciate that and that's I, I, I get on with majority of the people on tour and I just 
I'd never want them to think it's personal on the court. It's it's solely me trying to win, and you know I think that really showed. I played John Millman in Madrid, and you know John's not exactly the quietest person in the world either. And you know he was you know doing my head in on the court a little bit when he was winning because <laughs> he's beating me. But then at the net post, he was I beat him, and he was totally fine with it you know like he took it and just like like I think it would be nice to see a bit more of you know too good it's always there's a lot of excuses and that isn't how I want people to see me coming out with excuses why I lost but the the fact is the person would beat me on the day and that's that's what it would be and that's how I look back at how John took it really and it was pretty pretty cool really you know there was no fans and he just we had a good battle and that was that it's it's an interesting thought because i i actually was listening to a, a podcast you did with i, I believe it was soto tennis yeah and i don't i don't know the gentleman's name no, who, dan, dan, dan Cannon, yeah. but he, he, you were talking a little bit about that and and more specifically with regard to british tennis yeah. um just this idea of the competition side yeah. And and also kind of realizing what that can mean in terms of helping to grow the sport when yeah. you do have that, regardless of outcome, the ability to just say that guy was too good. What an incredible competition, and it helps grow the game. Yeah. And I'm wondering how how you kind of have come to that later in your career when I know that wasn't necessarily the thing when you were maybe 22, 23. Yeah, I think if you've got people behaving like everybody has their days don't get me wrong you know I've I've had mine and you know it is hard some days and you lose it mentally and you don't cover the sport with total grace but there's other days where sure people watch and think geez it'd be great if our kids you know when they're that age could you know have a life for themselves traveling around the world and you know go on the court have a good battle and and move on and that's the sort of sport you want to, you know, I think obviously Roger is a great example for everything in the sport. But I think him, Nadal, you know, those guys, when they lose, it's just done with total, you know, grace and acceptance for what's happened on the court. That the other guy was just better. That Don't get me wrong, they hardly lose. So it's a bit easier. <laughs> but, you know, that's and I think that's what Britain we could do better is have more tournaments have people out there fighting and then you learn you learn about yourself and you might learn that you don't want to play tennis or you might learn bloody hell I really do and you know or you know someone's watching that match you don't you don't ever know you know like Jeremy Bates and Nick Forward would never know I was at David Lloyd's Dudley ball boying for them and I was like geez they were good but okay Batesy was a very good tennis player Nick Forward in all due respect he was a good tennis player but he's probably you would never think he's an he would never think he was an inspiration to anybody but that event was on and I was there and it inspired me to want to play tennis and that's what you never know you don't have to be top 10 in the world to inspire someone and that's where tournaments I think kids watching a guy ranked 400 that does inspire someone because they think you're a you are a very good tennis player, but they think you are a world champion when they're watching from being 10, in the, 10, 10 years old. They think you are a world champion. They don't know the levels. But 
it would be the same as a guy 140 or 400 they would think you're the same person so that's what you know i think could be done a bit better and to grow our sport and, and were you 10 when you were a ball kid then for them is that about the I right was young. age i mean yeah it was like it was yeah i don't know how young but you know that's what happens and it's like it's a knock-on effect you know then i go to the tennis club play with my friends a bit more and then they want to play and i think yeah i mean and it's more you know in britain the love for the sport is not not as great as other countries and i think that's where we have to try it starts from a young age to get you know not just people playing but people watching you know in this country you've got a tennis channel in our country we don't have a tennis channel there's no one's tried to have a tennis channel it's you know it's tough i think and it's you know that's where we need to improve i think as i let you go i i mentioned at the outset 31 years of age now yeah. and i i've known you for about eight years yeah. um and seen all of these ups and downs myself yeah I didn't know if I was going to see you playing at 31, let alone yeah. this level. And and I, I guess I wonder, do you have that perspective on your whole career at this stage? Or are you still just kind of trying to stay within the moment so you're allowed to continue to grow? No, I look I look back. I mean, anyone who doesn't is, you know, is probably hiding from the facts. Uh, yeah, it's been... It's been good, but I'm nowhere near finished yet. It's, uh, you know, I have a really good life. I have a really good, you know, girlfriend. We enjoy traveling. There's no reason for me to be doing anything else. And, I, you know, that's why when I said about these weeks, if it doesn't go well, it's still, by no means is it about money, but I'm still having a good, you know, I'm earning a good living out here. I'm trying my best. I'm getting better. So until I, and I'm most of, for, first and foremost, I'm enjoying it. Like I enjoy being around the tournaments. It's never become a grind where at the start of my career, it was a grind, which is odd. But, and that's, and I think that's why, you know, I think I'm in a pretty good position to answer your last question about British tennis, what we could do better. But, you know, when, when, it, when you're young, it, it, it I don't think this place is, you've got to be special to be on the tour when you're young, in my opinion, and you've got to have a really good, you know, mental, you know, capacity to, to take it all in, but I wasn't able to, and that's just how it was for me, and that's how I take it, and now where some people might not like it when they're 31, or have it when they're 31, I, I feel I, I am able to cope with it. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. Finally this week, we're back with Tennis United, ATP and WTA combined. And this time we talk doubles with multiple Grand Slam champions, Jamie Murray and Bethany Matek-Sands. Hi there. How are you? Long time no see. Yeah, too long. Yeah, what's going on? How are we doing? Um, you just finished your practice, right. I yeah, see. Yeah, followed I, you on the court. I know. Uh, how was I looking? You were looking impressive, yeah. I was mixing it up, right? You were very much <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I kind of like that. The rhythm like, master. I kind of like mixing up every single shot that is yeah. possible on the court. Yeah, put it out there, yeah. Into my game. So. We're, here, we're here to express ourselves. Thank you. Yeah. I feel like I do a pretty good job expressing myself. Have I helped you express yourself more? 
I think you've helped me come out my shell a little bit. Have I? No, like no, no option though, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I have. I made you do enough social media with me. That's true, yeah. I gave I've us a hashtag. I've definitely learned on that, that side of things, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, how, but how have you been feeling on the Dubs Court? It's been a minute since we played together in Australia, yeah. so, but how have you been feeling since then? I've been not that good. <laughs> Results like haven't the, been I like like, like Australia actually. We yeah, are here we, to be uh, honest. Uh, Bruno was injured for a while, so was playing with different people for like three weeks, which was different for me because I actually never had hadn't had to do that for quite a few years. So I think that's actually a good place to start. What do you think is difficult, or even say on both ways? I'm playing with the same person week in and week out. What's the what's the pros? What's the cons? And then of mixing it up week in and week out. For me, I always want to be in a stable partnership because you know to have that continuity that direction you know i feel like the more you play with someone the easier it is to sort of build that that partnership rather than like week in week out finding someone different to play and kind yeah. of you know the success of the team will be how much can you come together and put your best game on the table working as a team yeah as like a effectively team. yeah for me when i'm playing against a team that's not communicating, I'm kind of pumped, I'm not gonna lie. If yeah, I just yeah. see them kind of doing this on the return yeah. games, no high fives, no game planning, I'm like, all right, we're going, like, we're gonna pick on someone because I know someone's getting at yeah, someone. Yeah, and sure, I yeah. love to like pick up on <laughs> yeah. those little things, I'm serious. And then I'll go middle a few times, see if I can get them a little bit more aggressive <laughs> towards each other. But I mean, maybe it's good in the end. I've mixed up a lot of different game styles with a lot of different partners. But for me, the biggest thing when I'm picking someone to play with is like how I vibe with them on an energy and communication yeah, level. I, I think, think that's, that's so no matter what then, when you are down and out, somebody's not playing good, I feel like you can always kind of give yourself a, a second chance at any point in a match if you're at least communicating. It's just, it's, easy, it's easier to go through those moments with someone that you like when you're in the trenches. I feel like something you may as well stay together and try to sort of get through those difficult times. Yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, everyone just ends up playing with everyone anyway for yeah. a period of time. So aren't you better just sticking with that one partner and trying to True. Trying and, to I, get, and I don't and think people almost realize too, the, the goal at the beginning of the year is to make that year end final. It yeah, doesn't yeah. come down to just your personal doubles ranking, yeah, which yeah. is what we all kind of look at, but it's your team standings. Yeah. Top eight players get to make that final eight that the, at the year end championships, both for men and women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a big deal. There's a lot of money on the line. Yeah. Um, there's a trophy on the line. So I feel like that's something that sort of, it's interesting to follow who can stay together. And yeah. even those teams that are just out like nine 10 towards the end of the year trying to get those points to, to compete as a team. That's the benchmark, isn't it, for all teams when they get together at the start of the year. It's like the goal is to make the tour finals. And I feel like most teams that do kind of stick out for another year or whatever. And those that don't often tend to go and find, find someone else to play with. I'll be honest. I haven't really had to have a really hard breakup one-on-one -on -one, be like, listen, I don't think this is going the direction that either <laughs> of us want, but I do, like, I am friends with a lot of people and I want everyone to kind of win out of the situations. I want us to enjoy playing dubs. I yeah. want, and I feel like I've been pretty, pretty forward with that. And also the thing is in doubles, you know, you might be playing with me, but next week, and, and we're playing against, you know, two players, but next week you might be playing with that player as well. So. Yeah. You, you know, can't it's kind totally. of important to maintain like some sort of relationship with yeah. with people because you always, you know, you can't be a doubles player without a partner, right? You yes. Need, uh... You gotta have some a couple people like you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but it's but it's true. I actually don't think a lot of fans almost realize that we 
also like even single players like everybody we share the same locker rooms like we yeah, see yeah. we warm each other up and we yeah, can be yeah. playing each other the next day i mean for the most part it's tennis is an individual sport and even in doubles you have your individual doubles ranking but you still got to come together with yeah. with your partner and find the right find the right person 100 yeah, percent hand signals or are you a talker do you prefer talking it out before you serve or return or do you like would you play a match just only on hand signals with your partner no i'm a i'm a talker like Aww. i'll <laughs> to talk it out yeah you're a talker yeah i know you. i mean with me you are we talk it out but you you're going for no i'll talk it i yeah. prefer talking it out only yeah. i'll only use that a signal every once in a while maybe on returns if yeah, there's yeah. like a second serve and i maybe want to go or yeah, want same, you to go yeah, line because that's the only kind of moment we don't get together yeah, yeah. and chat um for the most part even on let courts i'm kind of i'm that person that will run back and like yeah, give yeah, a little yeah. like fist bump all right here's what we're doing and then go back <laughs> reset <up>. get the <laughs> reset, reset. Yeah. so but i feel like there's some teams that it's like purely purely yeah. signals if you want to call both serves if you're the server and you want to call both serves or if you just want to focus on that first serve and then if you miss and it's like, okay, now I deal with the second serve and then the partner gives a signal. I don't like that just because I feel like it takes too long and sort of mess with your rhythm and stuff. Sometimes you have to do it like if it's a net cord and yeah. you, I don't think you're actually supposed to like run back in oh, between really? a first and a second serve. Oh man. I don't think you're supposed to do that. I feel like that's uh, all I do. Well, yeah, but if the umpires don't call it, then keep doing it, you know? Okay, all right. Uh, I feel like I sprint. I yeah, mean, my energy, so, I like sprint back there, like quick I talk. Call, I back. won't call you out on that. Okay, thanks. Uh, Appreciate it. But I think it just, if people doing signals mess around, it just sometimes takes... Well, because that, that is, that's like a little detail. Like some, I've noticed some players, some partners of mine like to call first and second serve. Yeah. Some only call first and then you want to signal a second because they want to just focus. They yeah, don't want to yeah. even think about a second serve in their mind. Yeah. They're like, this is what I'm doing first serve. If I miss, then we'll talk about it. Yeah. And then I remember playing with Bob Bryan who made no calls. He would, I would go back there and be like, ace. And I'd be like, I'll be at the net That if was you the need call, me. though. He, he, he did as he said he would, yeah. This he is delivered. true, and yeah. most of the time he would hit an ace. So, but I was just like, I'll wing it too, wherever you want to go. I'm ready at the net. So you prefer just calling the first serve? Yeah, like, I mean, nowadays also everyone calls a second serve, whether they're telling you that straight up or they're doing a signal. Yeah. Because in a way, for a second serve, it's more important because, you know, if they serve a good first serve, a lot of times, like, the ball doesn't come back or it's maybe an easy volley to, to yep. put away. But second serve is, like, it's where, for me, it's where the game's kind of won and lost a lot okay. of them. A lot of the so if you're, if you're going to give me advice, and I know you have, what are two things that you would always tell me to do when I'm playing doubles? Hit down the line and mix doubles. <laughs> Permanently telling you to do that. That's how we win. That's the only time thing, you've yeah. used my first name, yeah. Beth. <laughs> Go down the line. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, down the line wins, hear, wins I, titles. Yeah. Listen, I hear, my, I hear my first name and I'm like, he's serious. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Go down yeah, the line. Okay, so go down the time. line. Yep. And do your thing at the net. Like... Okay, Where's but be close. But be close. You, I'm usually. You're usually telling when, me to close. When the I net. return, is like be be closer to the net. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes you start too far back. So if I return, and then and it goes low at the yeah, feet it's kind or of something. wasted. Because if they volley back, you're too far back to then like to get that middle yeah, volley basically yeah, or to put higher pressure. or closer to the net. Yeah. And now you got to tell me advice for me. Advice for you. I think. I've just noticed sometimes you get a little bummed on some of your mistakes. It's those moments where if I was playing against you, that's what yeah. I'm looking for. I'm looking for that moment you like know you should have made a volley and yeah. you just kind of go like this. Because, I mean, you know how it is. You Someone misses and they just turn around and you're like, damn, like he, he didn't, that didn't yeah, matter to him. Face. He lost a yeah, deuce yeah. point and he <laughs> don't even care. He's coming at me the next point. So, and I find that that's more intimidating than, and like forget the actual mistake. So yeah. I would say that's what I would, 
I would tell you or anybody in doubles in general? Yeah, it's easy to get worked up about things and it's stressful playing doubles because the margins are so small, like first to four points every game, if you split sets, it's 10 point tie break and sometimes like it just doesn't go for you and you, you know, you can get on a bad run, you lose a few tie breaks in a week and you start to kind of doubt yourself or what you're doing and all that stuff. But you know, everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses and by now like your weaknesses are always going to be your weaknesses and your strengths will be your strengths. But at the end of the day, it's your strengths that are going to win, win you matches, you. win yeah. you titles, prize money, all that stuff. So. Exactly. And in doubles, I think it's also zero hesitation. Mm. I think when you're just second guessing yeah, a strategy yeah. or like a go play or just something, I think that's the make or break in yeah. doubles. If you can get to a place where mentally you're not hesitating, I think you're ultimately you'll go to your strengths yeah. anyways. The game's too fast as well. Like if you, you, yeah, you're hesitating or you're not looking for the ball, you don't want to touch the ball or whatever, like, yeah, it's on a one-way... Give me the ball, coach. Yeah, Give me yeah the ball. exactly, yeah. <laughs> Be the ball. Be the ball. <laughs> there we go. All right, I feel like this was a really good pe uh, pep session. I appreciate it, Jamie. I needed this too. Uh, me too, big time. Beth, it was a pleasure. Always. Um, I'm going to watch your matches. Time, yeah. yeah, anytime. Our thanks to Bethany Matek-Sands and Jamie Murray, also Dan Evans, Wayne Ferreira and Hubert Hercatch. Join us next week when we'll round up events from Indian Wells and look ahead to the last few weeks of the season as the players jostle for the final places up for grabs at the season-ending finals in Turin. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the tennis.